Well, if you're hearing that music, that's not our normal theme music. I am Gib Gerard. You're listening to Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. And of course, this is our special Christmas episode. So we're playing some Christmas music. That's Carol of the Bells, obviously. Uh, and I believe that it is an arrangement originally done by John Tesh, who we happen to have here uh, in the studio, John. Yeah, actually, Charlie Bisharat did that. I mean, I'm playing it, but Charlie Bisharat did the arrangement. did a great job uh, trying to connect with Charlie. Hey, if you know Charlie, tell him to call me. we got to get back out on the road together. Uh, Christmas is always weird for me because, you know, when we go out and we do Christmas tours, you're you're practicing Christmas music in June right. or recording in June and July. And uh, and then because of you going to see your in-laws and whatever, it's like Christmas Eve is on the twenty third. Right, I'm so confused. Well, we, you know, and and uh, I do a lot of Christmas movies. So right, yeah, exactly. I, I got a lot of I got a lot of Christmas sweaters and fake snow in July in Southern California, and then those movies come out in December. So yeah, uh, or November. Depending yeah, on. yeah. If you t- if you Tebow uh, just Tebow every Christmas movie, and and one out of three Gib will be in that, or Connie will be. It's in. a little high, but yes, it's, it's not far off. I get a lot of texts this time of year from friends who are watch who have uh, you know Lifetime or Ion or Hallmark in the background, and I pop up. So this was a um, this is a good idea, I think, this podcast because this, this is going to give you guys uh, some conversation starters over the uh, Christmas season. Yeah, you, or you might be uh, standing in line for a pumpkin latte and you got your eye on somebody of the opposite sex, or and it's uh, uh, you're like, oh, hey, here's I just I learned this on the on the. You don't have to give us credit; just use it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you, if you want to tell them about the Intelli- intelligence for life, the podcast, that would be great. Yeah, that's cool. Tell them to rate, comment, and subscribe yeah. on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever they get their podcasts. It'd be great. But you know, when people download information, right? And they subscribe. They feel like, well, I own this information. Oh, yeah, now, so I get this it. Is, yeah, yeah. You, you, you it's like it. I watch Norm Macdonald on YouTube, and I his figure jokes are now. I your can jokes. just use. Oh, they're not. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I, no. They are. I, I understand. They, they, no, he's it, it, in yeah. You did that with uh, Steve Martin. Uh, we're going to get to Christmas yeah, intelligence yeah, we in a second. We'll, we'll tell you Steve Martin. Thing. Did, you, oh, you want to tease it? All right. Uh, coming yeah, we'll up, we'll tell we'll yeah, tell yeah, yeah. John Steve Martin. I uh, stole Steve Martin jokes. Yeah, we'll tell the story about how he stole Steve Martin jokes. How he got caught after this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I, listen, I wanted to. to um, you and I were born what thirty years, more than thirty years, right apart? Uh, Something I, like that. Twenty nine yeah, years yeah, apart. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Twenty nine years apart. And so uh, I, I, you know, I, I looked this up and I found this fascinating. And for those of you of any age, I think you'll like this too. Uh, so we, we picked like the top toys, Gib and I did, from the 1950s. I was born in 52. And the most popular Christmas toys in the uh, early 1980s. So first, uh, and Gib, I, you, you know so much about uh, uh, the halcyon days of, uh, of Christmas that you're going you're gonna to recognize. I watched all of a these. lot of Nick at Night growing up, so I yeah, have a lot of yeah. 1950s and 60s information. So the number one, really the number one toy in the 1950s when I was growing up on Long Island, and I think it's still around, right, Mr. Potato Head? Yes, but when you were growing up, didn't you have to get a potato, yep. and you'd take the little things yep. and make, okay. Uh, so I don't think plastic had been invented yet. Well, the, the pieces <laughs> were plastic, but you had to stick them into a potato. But then yeah. when... Uh, it would have but, been too expensive to have the the big plastic right, potato. Yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, that's a good point. But so now, when you get Mr. Potato Head, you, you know, the parents don't want to give their kids the potato, there's a plastic potato. Even in Toy Story, it's right. a plastic potato. Right. Yeah. And so then and with like little slots for all the eyes yeah. and the ears yeah, and yeah. stuff. The original Mr. Potato Head, the gimmick was it was a potato <laughs> and you put a face on it. But you know what? If you gave a kid a potato now, they'd get, get all freaked out. It's not life. It's not French fries. They don't know what a potato is. Right. Like, what and, the What's that? And then they would ask, oh you know, gosh. I go to, my kids go to a hippie school, so they would ask if it was organic and they would have uh, issues with how many carbs yeah, it is. You know, how many that carbs kind of. it is. And then uh, number two. Yeah, a toy in the 1950s was Matchbox cars. Yes. You probably had some I of had those. A ma- I used to have a wicked Matchbox car collection. 
Wow. Those, and the nice thing about those... They're the size of a matchbox, right? Right. I didn't it would have fit those. inside of a matchbox. Yeah. That, was, that was the thing. First I, had of all, I had trains. Go but ahead. The, but, those, but that's the same thing. The yeah. thing about the matchbox cars that used to be made, they were made out of this die-cast metal. It was like a... It was it was real metal. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were heavy. Yeah, they were heavy, and they would la- like you could you could bang them up and do all kinds of stuff. And then they started adding more plastic into it as time went on. But those original those original Matchbox cars were sturdy, uh, and 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 they made them all kinds of like concept cars, and it was it was yeah, really fun. It was great. It had Mustangs and Thunderbirds. And, and then and when I was a kid, they still had them, but they, they you you buy the uh, rubber track that was just like uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if you go to Home Depot and get the same rubber track for you know a third the price, but the, you buy the rubber track, you make a loop to loop, and you can make the cars do all because they were so heavy, they had momentum because yeah. P equals yeah. mv mass times velocity. <laughs> so you you know they would really carry, and you can make them do jumps. And this, stuff. What's really funny is that these are all like uh, Pixar uh, inspiration. All of these things for well, for a Toy Story, but that's why. Yeah. You yeah. The, the the like um, the the reason why Toy Story was the first major Pixar film is because the plastic and metal surfaces were so much easier for the computers to render. Oh, interesting. And, um, and you, you know, that, that kind of plastic sheen was a really good starter for not making the computer-generated graphics look terrible, which is why, they're, you know, the people look so ridiculous in Toy Story, and then they show them so little, is because, they, uh, because again, it, it, they were really trying to oh, emphasize the wow. plastic in the main characters. Wow, that's great. That's, yeah. that's a great piece of intel. Uh, also, Gumby and Play-Doh were very... Yep. And I had one of those uh, Play-Doh... Um, factories right and of course we ate a lot of play-doh now i it I, smells ahead. too good not to eat yeah uh but the first barbie doll was introduced in 1959 mm-hmm. um and that was when my sisters were like 18 and 15 uh, now this was really big well, of course the hula hoop was huge big fat right, in the 50s big fat. um but also a pogo stick we all had pogo sticks it was the most dangerous toy yeah. ever <laughs> well look man the pogo stick first of all it's really hard it's yeah, like it it's yeah, like yeah. if unicycling yeah. became popular like it's yeah. really difficult yeah and then the uh when the rubber starts to wear out on the bottom of that thing and like the the the, the it's kind of it's kind of a catch-22 because the easiest place to do it balance wise is on good sturdy concrete, like really good flat concrete. But the hardest place to fall is on hard flat concrete, like that. Right. Oh yeah. So it's, it's you know <laughs> you're kind of setting yourself right. up for for painful for painful falls. But people that are good at pogo sticks are really fun. Yeah, they're to watch. amazing. And and you can, you start to get into the flush pattern. Like if you go too far, if you if you uh-huh. your, if your angle is too much on on the left, and then you come back it's at the right. Classic overcorrection. Right there we go. Uh, okay, so, so let, let's go to the uh, early 1980s when Gib was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember? I don't remember. Do you remember this uh, in 19? Well, you were like one. Uh, the, the glow worm. Yes, the heck was that? It was. I mean, it was. It was. It was like before they had LED technology. It was a big deal to have lights inside of toys, and it was a little worm that would literally emanate light. But it was a big deal because it didn't catch on fire when your kids snuggled right, with it. Right. Like that was the innovation. So it was this like glowing worm that would kind of sn- uh, glow when you snuggled it. Uh, and then uh, 1983, Cabbage Patch Kids came out for Christmas. Huge, and it, huge deal. St- those things are still worth money, aren't they? Yes, they are, especially yeah. those original ones. They look like they were made in a cabbage patch, like they grew in a cabbage patch. When you were four or five, did you have a Teddy Ruxpin that I, was popular? I did. So it, is, it, it was amazing. It was phenomenal. I was totally into it. But think about this as far as horror movie fodder. It was an animatronic bear that you put a tape in right, and it would right. say things and it would always be out of sync because the technology was not ready for prime time. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it was phenomenal. Look, I, I was a huge fan of Teddy Ruxman. I had Teddy and I had his like, he had a buddy that was a giraffe. I had that too. 
But, I mean, also Child's Play was coming out at that time. Like, it really would mess with your head. So this out-of-sync bear that would play, that would, that would speak to a special kind of tape that you put into its back, and it would always kind of be wrong, and its eyes would always kind of be looking in a weird way. It really was a horror movie. Yeah, and then um, Transformers came out in uh-huh. 1984, and then, of course, Nintendo system in 1986 and Game Boy in 89. And then you have a connection uh, to, to the, the number one toy for Christmas in 1988. Yes. When you were, what, you, you were seven then, yes? I was seven. seven. Yeah. And by the way, huge, huge Ninja Turtles fan. Yeah, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but you sort of married into the Turtles, didn't I you? I did. So my grandfather-in-law was the toy company executive. The Ninja Turtles, uh, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, they were uh, they, they, they were these, ti- was these turtles that uh, that got got oozed from radioactive waste and then became uh, and became you know teenage mutant ninja turtles that could then do that would just fight against the evil shredder. I was wow. super into it. Watched the cartoon. Really, really into the concept. But my grandfather in law was the toy company executive who found the turtles. Now it was originally a very dark comic strip or comic book in in Japan. Um, this kind of intense comic book. Very angsty, you know. The teenage angst was a big part of it, and he he found the comic book on a trip to Japan for manufacturing, and decided that it could be it should be marketed to children and retooled. And the sort of colorful, snarky but nicer, like a little bit less acerbic version that that became popular in the United States was all was all him. Wow, yeah, he's he's the guy that that made that oh, work. That's so he didn't create them; yeah. he's the one that made them the phenomenon. Yeah. I was like your son, uh, your two-year-old. I, I I just loved trains. We had that. St- yeah. It was all my dad would just get me like another locomotive for Christmas, and that's you know that's what that was. I mean, and that's and that's that's the gift that keeps on giving. If you're a parent yeah. and your kids into trains, yeah, you can always buy them more track, right? And more uh, more styles of train. Like right. that's that's great. Yeah. It's, I I right now for me, it's it's unicorns for my daughter. Oh my gosh, they've got unicorns on everything. Yeah, but it's all, all, all you got to do is say, oh, what do I get them for Christmas? What do I get them for the birthday? It's like something that they need with unicorns on them. So they're out of socks. Socks with unicorns. <laughs> they need a notebook for school. Notebook with unicorns, oh, and, and then it's win-win. Then you're getting that's them the stuff that they need, but also you make it the stuff that they want. That's fun to go through. Oh, you got holes in your sheets. Toys. Sheets with unicorns. <laughs> nice going. Some it's a great uh, some great uh, parenting tips. Parenting um, hack. Hey, listen. So we uh, we found this uh, this piece of research on uh, uh, career experts. Right, they are saying that that uh, we can in the new year. Learn some valuable lessons from Santa that apply to any job, any day of the year. So here's what, this is fun. Here's what you need to know, according to Judith Knorr. Judith is in charge of hiring hundreds of mall Santas. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she ever, uh, you know, every time I say mall Santa, all I think of is... Bad Santa. Bad Santa. Oh. Listen, this is a bad, this is a, this is a tough movie. It is an R-rated movie. It is a very R-rated movie. Yeah. But uh, it is very fun Do to not watch. watch it with your kids. But no. it is, it is one of the more hilarious things that Billy Bob Thornton has ever done. Yeah, but basically the whole the the plot is phenomenal. The plot is great, but the the whole thing is predicated on the concept of like, what if Santa was an acerbic alcoholic jerk who just happened to be dressed up like Santa? Yeah, was playing with yeah. that that notion of of all of the things that we hold dear about Santa. What if what if the person inhabiting the Santa was the opposite of that? Right, and he is that's, very much the well opposite said. of it. That's well said. That was a good movie review right there. Yeah. It has a nice little ending. Yeah. it takes a while to get to the ending. Yeah, though. Look, it's a, it's a it's a great ride. If you yeah. like if you like movies that are not particularly uplifting or family friendly, please right. see it. Yeah, dark. Okay. Anyway, so this Judith Nor is in charge of hiring hundreds of mall Santas, 
And so she has, says, here's what she's learned. Santa lesson number one that can apply to your job in the new year. Always keep your cool with tough customers. So she says customers are a lot like the kids who sit on Santa's lap, meaning some are fussy, some throw tantrums, some pull their beard. My problem is if Santa ever reacts in a mean, angry way, then kids will stop coming and he'll be out of his Santa job quicker. Good advice. I, that is good advice. Also very different from the real Santa. The real Santa, you make him mad, he just puts you on the naughty list and you get coal. Right. You know, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. He's not working with HR to make sure that you're happy <laughs> at the end of the day. He's just like, Cole, fine, you want to be me? And, and that's the American version of it. In, in Europe, they got Krampus. Right. Who is who is the, what? Yeah, this is a real this is a real legend, and they have like the the this Krampus parade, and I think it's Germany or or maybe it's, it's in Scandinavia, uh-huh. and it's like this. Imagine if Santa Claus was also part demon, and <laughs> if you and look, and if you acted badly on the winter solstice, he would come and take you take the kids away. Whoa! Yeah, that's Krampus, and they made a horror movie about it. Wow, I, I don't doubt it. But that's that's the that's the anti Santa. Here we go with one more, the last career lesson that we can learn from Santa. <laughs> we completely derailed That's all right. I, I got it right in front of me. One more career lesson we can learn from Santa, according to a, uh, a person who hires the HR uh, mall Santa hirer. Always act professional like Santa. So she says the people who dress up to play Santa, they know that once they put on the red suit, they cannot smoke, drink, or swear even while on break. And that's, this is how they created Bad Santa. Right. This is what if they what if he did. But that's but see, that's like one of the beautiful magical elements of of the mall Santa and, and people that take it seriously. That's that's the, the really beautiful thing. Every by the way, every Disney CEO has to dress up as uh, as Mickey Mouse for a day when, when they take the job. Oh, they, I've heard that, yeah. Because they need to understand the value that the intellectual property holds, right? The mm-hmm. value of what what does Mickey Mouse or what do the, the key Disney characters mean to the to the to the kids that come through the Disneyland and the right, Disney World right. and the Euro Disney, whatever. Right. And it's obviously it's a big media empire, but but at its core, they want to make sure that the CEO knows the value of what of what they're bringing. And if you really want to be a mall Santa, you need to know the value of what you're bringing. Right. You need to know right. the right. joy you're bringing in children's hearts and the anticipation and the hope that you represent. And hopefully you take that seriously and you represent it even when you're not quote unquote on the clock, but you're sitting there in your red suit. I'm sitting. I'm, I'm smiling uh, as you're saying joy in children's hearts because I'm thinking that uh, there, what what your mom and I did last weekend was um, scare your kids so badly they're probably not sleeping. Yeah. So we we love Disney, but we thought let's do something different. So we went to Universal Studios mm-hmm. Hollywood, and uh, down there on uh, you know but past the last escalator um, is uh, Jurassic Park thing mm-hmm. right. And they have this, and I'm telling you something you already know, but maybe the folks at home don't know. They have a thing where it's a, it's it is a raptor, right? A, a velociraptor. Is is a velociraptor really a dinosaur? Or did they make that up? It's a real dinosaur, but it's lots. They think it's a lot smaller than how it's portrayed okay. in the movie. It's right. like a like a like a think of a really large chicken, a large right. aggressive chicken right. with big with big talons. Talons, yeah. So this thing, it, ha- it must have a person in it, right? It has to have a yeah. person in it. But it is the scariest thing you can possibly mm-hmm. imagine. Kids love to be scared by this right. thing. But if you, so if you want to see the experience that we went through, just go to uh, YouTube and Google, um, you know, uh, Raptor Universal Studios because there's one that, one in Orlando and and there's also one in, in Hollywood. But there's there a great these- video of a woman getting mm-hmm. literally so scared of mm-hmm. the Velociraptor in Florida that she falls over like like. Like she got shot. Right, she just right. jumps away from it. And then the there's these two practical Joker guys from Australia yes. who who get the Raptor to come into their garage and and they invite their employees to come down and like help them, you know, help them mm-hmm. with something and the Velociraptor goes to attack them. 
I'm surprised they're not in jail right now, these guys, because they scared these people so badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Merry Christmas. That's they the signed a release, after. that's why. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so my kids had nightmares because you took them to see oh, the Oh, amazing. Scared, scared me, too. Hey, here's a dating term um, as we're talking about uh, Christmas and New Year's stuff that I hadn't heard before, and it's brand new, apparently. Uh, it's called Scrooging, Gib. Uh, now, the term was uh, made up by eHarmony. Scrooging is the act of dumping somebody before the holidays so you don't have to buy them a gift. Yeah. So eHarmony spokesperson says men are more likely to scrooge a partner than women. The upshot is, A, the person has commitment issues, and B, they're cheap and unimaginative since there are plenty of gifts that don't cost a thing. But whatever the reason, a scrooge is not somebody you want to be with, say, the guys at eHarmony. So that's being scrooged, well, breaking look, up before the holidays. Look, is it is it rude? Yes. But but two things. One is, if you're willing to break up with somebody because you don't know what to get them for Christmas, then obviously that's a relationship you don't want. It's <laughs> not a person you want to be in a relationship with, right? So that relationship was not going to, it was not going to last much after the holidays uh, anyway. That's one. So two, you should just count, you get to return his gift or her gift, yeah, you know? Like yeah, if you get Scrooge, yeah. that's money you're saving on a relationship that was not going to was not gonna last anyway. So I think everybody just needs to put it in the win column. And, and also, then the other thing is you don't have to take that person to your holiday parties at work and then have to explain why you guys broke up. Mm. You don't have to take that person home to meet the family and then explain why you guys broke up. Right. You're really dodging a bullet. Yeah. Uh, getting Scrooge is yeah. phenomenal because, again, that's not a relationship that you wanted anyway, clearly. So you might as well not have to go through all the trappings that you would have had to go through in the holiday. You, you absolutely, and you get great New Year's plans. You, abso- you get to go out single. You absolutely should uh, should take uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' um, job because you can spin anything. That was yeah. beautiful, beautifully spun. <laughs> I don't want that job. Yeah, right? It's a tough job. Uh, okay, so listen, I hadn't discussed this with you earlier, but uh, this just in. Now, um, as we approach New Year's Day, of course, Pedialyte <clears throat> is marketing a new hangover cure for adults. Now we have your attention. So Pedialyte... Pedialyte itself was a hangover cure when I was in college. Yeah, so Pedialyte, uh, parents and grandparents know what Pedialyte is. It's the hydration drink uh, that we give our kids when they've been sick to hydrate them and replace their electrolytes. Gatorade for children. Right, exactly. Uh, Without so much sugar. But the the new product for adults is called Sparking Rush Powder. Wow, what a name. Sparking, maybe it's sparkling, but it says Sparking Rush Powder. A powder that makes a a medical-grade fizzy drink to rehydrate adults after a crazy night. It contains sodium and potassium. It comes in two flavors, grape and cherry. Uh, it's sold uh, Target and all, all over the place. Uh, as Amazon, too. Pedialyte says the new, it's sparkling, sorry. The new sparkling rush powder can help with the dehydration you may experience after a couple of cocktails. You that's, may. Uh, yeah. That was sweet. So it's, it, okay, so it's hangover powder, and that's a great thing. Uh, it's a great thing. The only, thing, the only problem I have with, with, with hangover cures, because it, Maybe not everybody's had that experience, but you, 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 when it's a, it should be a flag, a red flag, a warning that you drank too much, and you should remember the pain for as long as possible in order to in order to help prevent future bad nights. Because obviously, you don't want to drink to the point of having a hangover. Right. If you want to enjoy a couple glasses of wine, that's great. When you overdo it, you should remember the consequences. <laughs> it's just yeah. for, if you want yeah. to have a healthy approach to yeah. life, you should remember the consequences and therefore be more likely to avoid the same behavior again <laughs> people, but, people listen to this podcast and they're going that's great i'm not doing that yeah okay but <laughs> for those of you that are saying that here is sparkling fizzy rehydration powder <laughs> and for those of you that are spending a lot of time over the holidays with family and maybe overindulging because you're around family yeah. that's a great way of, of being able to wake up on christmas morning and not and not get in trouble <clears throat> oh boy one of these days gib and i will tell you the story of when i was going through so much back pain and i just could not get rid of the pain oh yeah and i 
decided I wanted to walk into the ocean and, and end it all, and he saved my life. That's going to be on a not safe for work <laughs> podcast. That's going to be on one that we that we rate differently in this in the iTunes store. Right, right. Hey, um, Dave was just telling me this recently that he he picked up this research where there is a correlation between Christmas presents and football. So I'll lay this out for you, and then Gib will give you all the details. Um, according to a survey, 71% of men say uh, the success of their favorite football team impacts the amount of time they spend on holiday shopping. The better oh, their sure. team the better their team is doing, the more they watch or attend the games, and the less time they spend Christmas shopping. So if your boyfriend or husband's team is doing badly, ladies, uh, the experts say expect a better gift. Yeah. Well, because, look, I'm, I'm a Rams fan, and they just dropped two games, so we're not even going to – I don't want to talk about it. But – um. They, uh, the, the, the deal with uh, sports is great for diversion, right? It is a great diversion. It's also a great way to bond with other people who are similarly oriented with sports. So it, 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 that's where it's at its best. At its worst, it's an addiction, just like anything else. When you're really into something, it can take away from your approach to life in so many different ways. And, and one of them is the amount of attention you pay to your partner. And that's, you know, look, it, that mostly is men neglecting their wives, but it's also, it goes, it goes both ways in some cases, um, so point being, at its worst, you're then going to be neglecting your family. And so when your team is not doing well, the most degenerate of us, all of a sudden we look up from our, <laughs> from our television screens and we realize, oh my gosh, I have a family around here. I should probably invest in them both mentally and, <laughs> and spiritually. And, and so then, then, and, and then they get better gifts. So you break out of your trance. Yeah, because yeah. If you're, once your team's out of the play, in, in football especially, like over a, a lot of other sports, you know pretty early. I mean, you can know in five weeks into the season if your team is going to go to the playoffs uh-huh, or not. Uh-huh. Uh, you have a good sense of it anyway. And, uh, and so, like, you know, those guys will look up and all of a sudden be like, well, I better get a good Christmas present because I know I'm not going to get to watch my team in the Super Bowl this year. So, then, yeah, you know, yeah. there you go. There you go. All right. So let's talk uh, about uh, relationships or uh, new relationships during the holidays. Uh, we have uh, some quotes from relationship expert Dr. Linda Olson who says, uh, quote, unquote, the holiday season is the worst time of the year for couples to meet each other's families for the first time. She says, if you're seeing somebody new, you got to wait until after the holidays to meet their family. But you get excited, right? So she says it's not the best time because there are heightened emotions that go along with the holiday season. And traditions. Yeah. People are more on edge and may have certain expectations for the holidays that do not include strangers like your new boyfriend. As a result, she says it makes it a lot harder to establish a good relationship with the pressure this time of year. So she says you, you should wait until sometime in the new year to make the meet the parents introductions, but nobody does. Yeah, but you know why nobody does? Here's the thing. Here's what she's missing. And look, I, I, I agree. It, there are a lot of expectations. And when you bring somebody who's not family into a family environment, there is the question of, are you saying this is the person you're going to be marrying? Or yeah, what? Yeah. Like it becomes a question, saying? do yeah. I treat this person like family or am I meeting this person for the first time? And if I'm meeting this person for the first time, why am I only meeting them now? Anyway, there, she's absolutely right about the expectations thing, but it's you know it's 2018, about to be 2019. Traveling is expensive. Most young people move out of the house and then end up moving into a city that's not necessarily close to where their where their family is. They can't take off three two week vacations every year to take the boyfriend home to introduce him. So that's their trip home. And if they have a serious boyfriend, why wouldn't they bring them with them? I hadn't even considered that. So That's like, good. oh, so I got it. So now all of a sudden, I got to buy four plane tickets instead of just going there and back. I got to buy another trip uh, for the boyfriend in the new year. Like that's just unrealistic. Not only that, they got to go back to work. They just took all this holiday time off. What are, they, yeah. what, are the, what are these people expecting? Yeah. So I understand the etiquette of it, 
But there's also the practicality of it. Like everybody's there. You get to meet everybody. You get to meet mom and the cousins and the grandparents all at one fell swoop. And if it's a serious relationship, why not pull the Band-Aid off like that? Probably a good idea to watch Meet the Parents and Meet the Parents too. Or Four Christmases. You know, there's, there's oh, plenty of those. Oh, right. Four Christmases is good. Um, you can watch Wedding Crashers too. If you yeah. want to do that. We, we just, just watch a lot of movies is our point. <laughs> they have nothing to do with the subject matter we're talking about. Uh, say, hey, we're, uh, well, you know what we're talking about because it's a podcast. Well, I always feel like I have to tease what we're talking about that's because the, it's radio. That's the broadcaster it, in you. It, that's right. So let's talk about festive burnout. Uh, the latest data, Gib, is telling us that one out of three of us will get festive. It's a thing. Festive burnout before Christmas uh, even comes. This is according to a new study that polled 2,000 adults. A study found that festive burnout will set in for 36% of us before oh, gosh, Christmas. Yeah. They found that during the holiday season, the average person will endure... Here we go. Here's the list. The average person admits to enduring three awkward off-color jokes by family members. Absolutely. The average person will get asked three personal questions about their love lives by family members. Yep. And will get into four serious arguments with family members. Yes. Oh, and like, and especially at this time where politics is so polarizing and worldview, everybody takes stuff personally. Like, I feel like baby boomers take it personally if you don't have if you don't want to work for Bob Bell. You know, if you yeah, want to, if you yeah. want like, oh, I work for a startup, like how they, they, they feel like there's a lot of baby boomers out there that take it personally when you don't want to do that. And, uh, and, and because of that, we have these very disparate worldviews right now and they all come together because they have, they, we share genetic material, AKA family, we all come together. And so you're going to say some stuff and you're going to react to some stuff that really offends you because your worldviews are so different. So absolutely. I could see festive burnout happening. Yeah. Not only that. Not only that, like people ask questions that they think are just make. People also don't see the best in each other, and the and the. I heard this from a, a relationship counselor. I can't remember if it was somebody I interviewed on this podcast or if it was just a conversation <laughs> I had. But I'm getting old. Uh, it was uh, family knows how to push your buttons because they made your buttons. Uh huh. You know, so yeah. they they yeah. know all of the things that they need to do to me- mess with you, and sometimes they don't even realize that it's a button that they push, but it's something that they made. So when your mom asks you about your love life, a lot of people push back on that because. It, it feels different than when just like somebody, a coworker is like, hey, you see it, anybody? It doesn't have all the same emotional baggage. So not only are you living, going back to all these people, but all of the old emotional baggage makes your buttons a lot easier to press from, from these people in particular. Even, even if they ask totally innocuous questions, they don't feel innocuous. So you know when in, um, you, know, you know a lot about chemistry. Um, you can have two reagents, right? You can have two, two, uh, two things, like, right, like think red and white phosphorus, whatever. And by themselves, they're fine. But when you add in a uh, catalyst, catalyst, then uh, then it can be a huge explosion. People can have their faces blown off, right? Yeah. So the catalyst in our family. Or your got- trumpet player friend who had his fingers blown off. He did. Wow, wow you remember that. Yeah. Teddy, Teddy Shamella, yeah, when he mixed red and white phosphorus. So uh, the catalyst in our family for many years, God rest her soul, is my sister, Marianne. Oh, yeah. Who was nine years older than, than, than me. She had... She had a, she had a rough life and and she did and she just liked she liked to have a cocktail like every night and so when she would come <laughs> a, a cocktail know. every night was not the problem but keep going yeah so we would try you know during the holidays when she would come in and and my wife you know uh, uh, would would always invite her to everything it was great you know and she'd come and she'd be good and then she'd get angry about where she was sitting or something mm-hmm. and it was it was fun it's always fun to have. You know, somebody who's who's creating some drama because then you feel better about yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever, you know. 
So I tried to play the adult in the family, which is really the wrong thing for me to try to do. Um, but then what happened was, and Git doesn't know where I'm going here because I could go in two or three different directions. Yep, I do. Oh, I, you do? I, I, no, oh, no, you, no, 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 no. I, I mean, you're right. You could go in three different yeah, directions. Yeah, I think yeah, I can't. Yeah. I don't know. What but you're I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go Thanksgiving. I'm going to go Christmas. And so Mary Ellen was with us. What we used to try to do is like. You know, keep you know wine, yes, but keep the hard liquor away from her. Oh yeah, and I, so I, this we, is where I thought you were headed. So I, you know, I had gotten some, you know, some really nice tequila. Yep. And you know, Gib is an incredibly responsible. If he drinks at all, he's very, very responsible. And so you know, he he had uh, I don't know, he's tasting tasting some of the tequila, and and the, the way I understand it, because I wasn't at this part of it, I saw the end of it was you know, Marianne said, "Hey, can I join you?" Right? Uh-huh. Something like that. It, yeah. It, it, so she did and went a little bit too far. And by the end of it, um, she was throwing Christmas yep. presents at me yes. and, and Gibbs' sister, yep. who was eight, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, eight, yeah so uh, I, this was, this was, I was in my early 20s, this was right <laughs> after college. And uh, I, I, we, were, I, we used to have this big, we still do it sometimes, but this big Christmas Eve event, like a big Christmas Eve party where a lot of family and friends would come over and would be a big, a big deal, a big affair. Uh, and like you said, there was the other, there was the beer and wine up at the party, but there were some other guys, you know, family friends who were my age. And I was like, Hey, let's go. There's this great tequila. You guys got to try it. So we went and we went to go try it, but she overheard us and wanted to come. <laughs> and that was the problem. And then we're, I was like, I, I couldn't, you can't turn to somebody and be like, what? But you have a problem. Yeah, she's 70 years old. You can't yeah. all of a sudden start. Yeah. Like I was, yeah. You can't be the little kid going, Hey, listen, lady. Yeah. Right, right. Don't you, don't you think you should abstain? Hey, then, aunt Mary Ellen. Yeah. yeah, I get it. So, so she came, comes with us and then. She apparently stayed and had more than we had had, <laughs> and went a little overboard. Nobody, um, nobody got hurt, but that was the that was the drama for us. And it was it was definitely family. my fault. But I, I, you know, whatever. I just remember your mom. I just remember your mom looking at you, going, "Gib, what have you done?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But everybody survived. But it was that was the you know people who were listening to this because oh man, I had that happen. You know, and, yeah, uh, yeah. But she That's festive a, burnout. You yeah, have to. You have an event yeah, like that happen, and it makes you go. Eh, maybe Christmas isn't what yeah, we thought. I, it was. I miss her so much because now we're just sort of, you know, we have like normal holidays. You know, there's no fun. You know, it's just like. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's yeah, fun. It's fun, yeah. but it's just you know, there's not, there's not a chance of. You don't like get a, a great story out of it. <laughs> you don't get something you can use on the air. Oh my gosh! Uh, you want to do one more of these stories here? Sure. Okay. So uh, apparently, oh, 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 this is another one of these cute things. I love, I love it when when, uh, when these researchers they take research and then they sort of spin it into Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So so it's a piece that says that, um, that from the journal Evolutionary Biology is saying that uh, the reason that Mrs. Claus has stuck around all this time, despite how hard Santa's job is, is because she's fictional. Because <laughs> another study has found that women like men with beards. Okay? Oh yeah. So. Uh, again, it's from the Journal of Evolutionary Biology, and researchers asked 9,000 women to rate men on their attractiveness as a long-term romantic partner. And they showed them pictures of men with various ages of facial hair. Clean-shaven men were considered the least desirable partners. How about that? Men, yeah. with, men with light stubble fared better. Men with full beards came in second. The men with, uh, with two weeks of heavy stubble were rated as the most desirable uh, for long-term romantic partners. Most of the women in the study insisted that men with beards were the ones they would choose as a life partner. And women look at bearded men as more masculine, wise, and hardworking, as they said, hardworking, yeah. Researchers say beards apparently represent a man's ability to compete for resources. Yes, so it's, it's twofold, right? Like, one is, one is classical conditioning. We, in, in, in modern society, we've conditioned the bearded man through advertising and, and displays in, in commercials and in, uh, in, in, in literature and stuff. The guy with the beard is the lumberjack. He's the hunter. 
he's the Daniel Boone character. He's the one who's out in the woods making it happen, and right, then he comes right. back into town with a big, thick beard. You know, Grizzly Adams. Like th- that's that's uh, that's who we have in our mind associated with the beard. And as a result of that, those traits are then glommed onto the person of the beard because of pop culture and advertising. But on top of that, there is an evolutionary element, which is what you described, is that beards are correlated with a higher level of testosterone, and higher levels of testosterone from an evolutionary perspective are correlated with fitness when it comes to breeding. And right. that means they're better, again, more aggressive and able to protect the young, which, which is, from an evolutionary perspective, again, the focus of why you want to mate with somebody. Right. Right? How, how good will that, will that person be at rearing the children and what... what um, what genetics will they will will my offspring be combined with so that right. I can I, right. I, so that I know and and again high testosterone uh, and and a healthy beard is linked to a good diet it's linked to the high testosterone and so it it, it is a it is a evolutionary cue to women that you are good breeding stock yeah that's why cool. and that's so and, but the reason Mrs Claus stays with Santa Claus is because you know that would. That would ruin a lot of you know the, a lot of the, li- the literature. It's, it's a fictional person, so all of a sudden, I, actually, maybe I'm sure by next Christmas there will be a children's book. It's like Mr. and Mrs. Claus get divorced. <laughs> That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We do this podcast for a number of reasons, but mostly for you. Um, and and the main thing that we're trying to do with this is we're trying to take what we talk about on Intelligence for Your Life on the air and do a longer-form version of it, have longer conversations about it, have long conversations with the experts that we quote in person on the podcast, which we are which we are big fans of. So if you like also, that... To, also, to be honest, you're smarter than most of the experts. Anyway, that's not so true. That's nice. That is not true. And we got some great... We have some great new... Uh, coming up in the new year, we've got some great interviews already lined up, some that I've already done that I'll, that, I'll, uh, that I'll put out there. So we're really, really excited about it. If you like it, but we need you guys to listen. We need you guys to t- tell your friends about it. I've noticed a bunch of you... A bunch of you have actually rated and commented and, I, and we really appreciate that uh and it makes our life easier we were going to tell we were going to tell a story about you about uh what was the story we we're going to tell oh steve me steve uh, stealing steve martin's jokes yes okay so real fast we gotta tell the story okay you had seen steve martin live when he came through uh well, you were in tennessee nashville, nashville yeah and you saw him five you, nights in a row okay nobody knew who he was nobody knows so there's an unknown comedian steve martin comes through town you hear the jokes and you do what I memorized all of his jokes, like the right. stuff, the stuff like you know, excuse me, you know, yeah. I'm a wild and crazy guy, you know, I get paid for doing this, yeah. I mean, you know, and so I have people in the newsroom laughing hysterically right. while, while and again, we're writing this. No internet at this point. Nobody no, knows who Steve no, Martin no. is. He's an unknown comic yeah. that came through town, right. and all of this stuff. So he's, you know, you're getting off scot free. Right. You're stealing this yeah. guy's jokes, and there's no oh, way of yeah. checking I, it. I, yeah, and, and it was like people were just like, "Oh my gosh, this guy is you know, John is so funny," you uh-huh. know. And, and I had a, you know, somebody would say, "Hey, John, your, you know, your your story was supposed to be two minutes and fifteen seconds. You came in at three minutes." And I'd be like, "Well, excuse me." Oh, with a, with a sense of humor like that, I'll forgive it this time. Ah. <laughs> And so about uh, three, three, four, well, it's like a couple of months after this uh, was happening at the Exit Inn with this, this comedy stuff, uh, Steve Martin has blown up at, the, you know, at that point, and he ends up hosting Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. right? And this is on Saturday night, obviously on Monday. All of my, my fellow you know, people come in, you know, my work uh, co-workers, and they're like, uh, hey, there's a guy on Saturday Night, Saturday night Live who stole all your stuff. <laughs> They heard it from you first. Yeah, like two or three people. Like, yeah, man, I heard it too. It was like all the stuff that you've been doing. And then all of a sudden, you could just see it cross their face. And they're like, 
Wait a minute. Could it be the professional comedian <laughs> on Saturday Night Live who actually wrote the material and John stole it? Yeah, it's really so funny. there you go. If you want to follow up, tell John what you think about him. Facebook.com slash John Tesh. That's where we hang out the most. We do Facebook Lives there, all kinds of videos we post. Uh, also on Twitter, at John Tesh. On Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I'm Gib Gerard. Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. At Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening. We couldn't do it without you.